Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other episode, and then shop as you normally would. It doesn't cost you anything other than an extra click, so go ahead and do it. Support the shows you love. Today, we're speculating about the next campaign setting to show up in the official D&D 5th edition rules. But first, let's meet our panel. With me today at the roundtable are Greg Blair. Howdy. Dave Gibson. Hello. Sam Dillon. Hola. And the one and only Jeff Greiner. Bonjour. All right, guys. And today's get-to-know-you question what do you think was the biggest D&D news item of 2014, aside from the release of 5e? Uh, oh, darn it. There goes that one. <laughs> <laughs> which was clearly the largest item. Uh, what do you think was one of the biggest news items? There were a lot of them this year. Uh, let's start with you, Jeff Greiner. Uh, so I'm going to go with Dungeonscape being canceled. Um, because, like... That was the digital plan for for Five E, mm-hmm. and we were looking at it coming out this year. And I was getting excited about it, and I was in the playtest for it. And so I saw sort of where it was going and how it was working, and I I liked sort of the 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 structure that was there and where and the direction it was moving. Uh, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, um, nope, not happening. So I guess we'll start over from scratch on a new digital plan that may or may not someday happen. I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> but all my char- all my characters are gone too. I was using it for all my characters. <sighs> oh jeez. <laughs> uh yeah, I'm wow. sort of hoping that the OGL uh allows for digital tools to be made because then who knows who could make them, yeah. you know? Uh Greg Blair, what did you think was the biggest D&D news item of 2014? I was thinking actually the the dungeon escape thing. Nothing's I win. really <laughs> Nothing's really bigger than that honestly for me. Um just because that's been such a hole in their lineup. I, I would kind of think this maybe doesn't resonate as much with everyone else, but the whole the whole binding thing on the player's handbook, mm. since it affected me, I thought that was kind of a big deal. Um, just because what happened to quality control? Wizards, where'd that go? Did that? Maybe that wasn't such a big deal to everyone else, but I was kind of disappointed. Sure. So, kind of a negative one. Uh, Dave Gibson, what did you think was the biggest D&D news item of 2014? I think the biggest news item is the fact that Wizards is licensing their adventures to different companies. Mm. First, uh, Cobalt <laughs> Press, and little... maybe was it uh, Sasquatch Games in the future, which is kind of big uh, big news. They, they've licensed yeah. other products in the past, licensing the minis, and they've been um, licensing video games and such like this. But this is the first time they're licensing out the actual RPG, not just a campaign setting, but like the, the core rule, um, core material. Yeah, and I think that might be big in the future, and I think we're going to get back to licensing later in the discussion. Yeah. I'll be curious to see who they end up working with more in the future. I mean, not that they won't go back to Cobalt, but I think uh, you know, there's a, a large stable of, of potential companies that would be willing to jump on this. Yeah, yeah, they can definitely spread the love around, and I'm sure people are raising their hands saying, ooh, me, me, work with me. Uh, Sam Dillon, what did you think was the biggest D&D news item of 2014? Oh, well, you guys hit all the big ones, so I'm going to go for a slightly smaller one, but one that that I lament 
Um, and that is that Bruce Cordell left Wizards of the Coast. Mm. I was very sad to hear that because he's one of my yeah. favorite designers. Uh, he worked he's been on with him since TSR. Yeah, he he worked on the Gates of Firestorm Peak, which is one of my favorite second edition adventure sets. And all the way up through the rest of second edition into third edition, 3.5, 4, all the way to 5. He was on the design team for fifth, and then mm-hmm. he left. So, I mean, good for him. Yay. I think it was a career move that that he was ready to go, and it was time to go. And that's awesome. I hope he's doing well over at Monty Cook Games. But I'm sad panda because I really like his stuff. For, for whatever reason – he would write things that really resonated with me and that I had a very easy time running. So I'm going to miss his input into D and D perhaps maybe they will get Monty cook games to be one of the design studios to do one of their story paths. And that would be cool. Yeah. That would be amazing. Um, what I want to speculate on is campaign settings in the D&D 5th edition rules. We've seen a lot of Forgotten Realms so far, and there's speculation about what the next setting we might see is. But my first question to you guys is actually about Forgotten Realms. And Jeff, we're going to start with you because you are the biggest Realms fan I know. Mm, okay. Do we actually <laughs> have 5e Forgotten Realms? I'm going to say um, about... A fourth, yes. Maybe a fourth. Maybe not quite that much. (laughs) I mean, we have a glimpse of some realmsiness um, through some of the adventures and things, but we don't really have a a real clear vision of the status quo, what's going on in in all different parts of the world. We've almost entirely been in one part of the world with all, even the pre-fifth edition release adventures that were in the realms were all sort of along the coast. Um, So we've got a very, very narrow glimpse. We don't have a real strong timeline that connects it to what, you know, previous events. Um, There's, you know, a huge chunk of the world that's only been kind of sort of explored through novels, uh, but that's not game material. So, I mean, I would argue until we have a real campaign guide, we don't have the fifth edition realms. We just have adventures that are set there. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right, right? Like, it's hard to build your own adventures in fifth edition realms because you don't have all of the realms to do that. Right. Um, Do you think we'll ever see a campaign guide for Forgotten Realms? Or do you think that adventure paths are the the new way to present worlds? That's an interesting question. Um, They have said that, I mean, I think they've made it clear that their vision is that the adventure... Um, the adventures are the way that they're presenting material now and that any new material they get, they, they create will be in support of those stories. I kind of feel like not creating a forgotten realms campaign guide is saying, no, we don't want your money. Never mind. You know, cause there's a huge fan base for the forgotten realms that will all buy it. Right. You know? Well, and there's, there's always been one, right? So yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> every edition <laughs> has had great, forgotten realms. The- since the second edition gray box, well, there's, been a, there's been a campaign sure. guide for the realm. <laughs> well, like they, it's coming out. So, Greg, what do you think? Do you think that we don't have Forgotten Realms yet? Do you think that that is the first campaign guide, really, we need to see come out? I think that's definitely what's going to happen. I 100% agree that as someone with a gray box at home, it's it's not here yet. <laughs> they can they can post little tidbits and teases, but they definitely have not released Forgotten Realms yet. And until we get that campaign guide or some fancy box with maps and stuff, you know, let's take it back a few years, guys. Um, <laughs> then the Forgotten Realms have not yet arrived, and I'm actually kind of excited. The whole 40 Forgotten Realms didn't really do it for me, but 
this seems pretty cool. Dave Gibson, what do you think about Forgotten Realms? Do you think we're going to see a fully realized campaign guide before we dip our toe anywhere else in the D&D multiverse? Maybe. I think it's it's definitely needed from an organized player perspective, just so people playing in the, the new campaign, the D&D US expeditions, can make a character that fits the world. But since so much is changing and they're trying to get back to the classic realms, it might take uh, a little bit longer to really look at what's changed, what they should keep, what they need to go back to, and spend a little bit more time cooking the world. And during which time they could easily make up another campaign product for a world that doesn't need as much reevaluation. They could easily throw together a Greyhawk book in the time that they're um, thinking on the Forgotten Realms because they don't need to change much for Greyhawk. It also occurs to me that it's that it's worth noting um, the last two editions both had a, a core sort of assumed setting that all their adventures and everything were written in, and we never got campaign guides for either one of them. Mm-hmm. Right? We never got a fourth edition Ninja Your Veil campaign guide, and we never got a Greyhawk guide for third edition, and that was the default setting for third edition. Third edition was a little gazetteer that was like what, yeah, but that's not a campaign 30 pages guide. or something. No, I yeah. know. I'm just no, saying. There was like, a, you know, yeah. so, there was a 3.0 Living Greyhawk Gazetteer that was fairly thick, but it was uh, produced by the RPGA. Doesn't count. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Sam, what do you think about Forgotten Realms? Do you think we need to see a fully realized campaign guide before we go anywhere else? Or that we will? Uh, do I think we need to? Hell no. <laughs> I, th- I think there's been 30 years of, of, uh, of Forgotten Realms stuff. And uh, I think that as long as they keep releasing players' guides and uh, and and whatnot with their adventure paths, they don't need to release a forgotten. Or let me put it this way: if they keep releasing, if the, if for the next two years they're going to release one or two or maybe three adventure path type adventures a year, and they're all going to be set in the Forgotten Realms, then maybe after the first couple of years they could release a sort of forgotten realms campaign guide that would include information from all of those adventure paths and then it would feel like a complete kind of thing uh, i think it would be better for them to focus on certain areas where mo- the majority of these adventures are taking place like i think for the horde of the dragon queen they should have given a a sword coast campaign setting guide with mm. Waterdeep and baldur's gate and all those now Maybe not a Baldur's Gate one because they had the murder in Baldur's Gate, which had a nice little campaign kind of guide with it. But they could they should have done something like that, what you got with murder in Baldur's Gate for Horde of the Dragon Queen. If they had done that, it would seem like they were sort of building towards a campaign guide. Yeah, now, man. that's a separate question from whether I think they really need one. I don't think they need one. Me personally, I don't think they need one. Although I know that all the fans want one because they want to know exactly what's going on. And there's a lot of things that the fans are sitting here saying, well, the Sundering thing happened and we don't know all the details and we want to know more details. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I'm like, I don't give a crap about the Sundering, so it doesn't matter to me whether they get one. <laughs> I, I would rather them move on and just tell some good stories and, and maybe mm-hmm. put a compilation setting guide at the end of that and then move on to the next world you want to explore. Do you think they will? If they do the the next um the next uh, series of adventures is the elemental right. princes of the apocalypse that's right, and that is going to have with it a player's guide that's probably going to include a whole bunch of uh, player facing information like new bonds and flaws and different uh, entries about things that you'll know about the world and all that stuff and that's taking place in the forgotten realm so I think that that will be sort of a pseudo campaign guide for that particular Mm. adventure path um if that gets good feedback i think they'll do that 
that type of thing again with the next adventure path, which which will all also probably be in Forgotten Realms. And I think if that keeps happening, they don't need one. Mm-hmm. If they don't do that though, and if that player's guide is really just player information about new character builds and whatnot, which I hope it's not because it's like fifty bucks or something, and I don't know, mm-hmm. um, then they will need to. I think. Yeah. So for me, I guess the answer is it depends on how that what that player's guide looks like and what the campaign guide or the, the story guide looks like for the mm-hmm. next adventure path. I actually agree with you more than I think people would expect in, in that, you know, I, I think they'll do one. Um, I think I want one. Um, but I don't think they need one. I think they could do, as you're talking about, uh, continue to, to to give us pieces of it as we go along. Now, my issue as a fan is, is yeah, but I want to run an adventure in Cormier, and you haven't given me anything in Cormier yet, or what? You know, whatever, right? There's mm-hmm. tons of places in the world, and they, they, there's no way they can they can hit an adventure path in all of them and give me give me uh, you know a little bit of what I want. But but I, I I don't necessarily disagree. I don't think they necessarily need one. I can make that stuff up if I want to. Yeah. I'm a DM. I do this. Well, especially with all the the domain, well, the literally domain knowledge that you have. I think yeah. Samuel makes <laughs> some really good points, and I think that'd be a totally valid strategy. I just hope they do it for don't do it for a slightly different reason. I want them to drop this campaign guide so we can get past the realms. Like realms are great yeah. and all, and I think the Sundering sounds really exciting, but I want the rest of the stuff. Their third edition publishing strategy was basically we're going to publish something new every month um, for non-realms and something new realms every month. So there were two books a month released for the entirety of third edition yeah, and one and one a month was always the realms. And so there, there was just tons and tons of stuff, but they, but some of what they were publishing otherwise was other campaign settings. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But haven't they come out specifically as kind of not oh they're not going to do that yeah so right but what they what they've also said was i I remember an episode of the tome show where we interviewed nathan stewart who is one of the main brand brand manager people and he said that the plan was for the first two years of after the release or of the release i don't know if that includes this year or if it starts next year forgotten realms is their world of choice right now and that's the plan for that is for at least two years. So I, mm-hmm. I have my expectations set that they're not doing anything outside of the realms for at least two years. Sure. That means if they do end up doing something, I'm going to be happy about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but if they don't, I'm not going to be surprised. So I well, think those expectations have been set. That, that was an older interview, as I recall. And, and it's possible mm-hmm. that, um, that his two year time limit included you know the the murder in Baldur's that, yeah, gate and, yeah. and all the pre-release mm-hmm. stuff i mean in that case right. we've already had more than a year of of that well so then include this include this year and include next year that still means we won't yeah. see anything outside the forgotten realms until 2016 well, by next year we'll we'll only have had two more uh, storylines right right because because they've they're only talking about doing a couple a year yeah Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. presumably, right, that they want to, because they they have this model of taking their time, they want to take their time and not rush the next setting. And I know we talked about, actually, Jeff, the last time you were on the podcast, we talked about the possibility of Planescape being mm-hmm. one of the next settings, because then when you open the door to Planescape, it sort of then allows you and it allows everybody who is in the Adventurers League to go to these other 
realms, these other material planes, um, you know, from Forgotten Realms. So if you have a character in Forgotten Realms, it's conceivable that they could get to Eberron or Greyhawk if you have Planescape as your next one. Greg Blair, I know you love Planescape as a setting. Um, Do I ever. (laughs) uh, So why don't you, uh, for people at home, just explain a little bit about what Planescape is, in case anybody doesn't know, just in a few sentences. Would you like it to be one of the next settings that we see? And do you think it is a real possibility? So Planescape, oh man, Planescape in a nutshell is a little tough because Planescape Planescape touches everything, right? <laughs> it is an incredibly extra-dimensional, very strange nutshell. Um, <laughs> at the center, at the center of most, I'd say most Planescape campaigns lies Sigil, which is the city of doors, and from Sigil you can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of getting back to a more Planescape-friendly cosmology in terms of how the planes are laid out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is this whole concept of the, of the Great Wheel. And we're all the different kind of elemental planes, all these things tied together. But also another big part of Planescape was politics. You had all these crazy factions that lined up with, you know, the nine alignments, which they've also brought back in. Um, so I think some of the some of the building blocks are there. I don't think they're going to go to Planescape next. Um because I don't think everyone feels the same way I do about Planescape. And actually, I'd, I'd almost kind of prefer that they, as much as I love Planescape, I love the brutality of Dark Sun more, and I think that it's very compatible with 5e. So I'm kind of hoping that they, they go with that. that. That'd be my ideal, Dark Sun Planescape. But that's me. Dave Gibson, uh, what are your thoughts on Planescape? Would you like to see it? And do you think it's a possibility? I think it's the, the possibility, as Jeff says, as the bridge between worlds. Actually, I have a question for Greg. Do you think they could kind of sufficiently do Planescape in a book like Manual of the Plains? Do a, a Manual of the Plains book that has enough Planescape knowledge? I think so. Because, I mean, really, like I said, it is it is sort of this interplace. So as long as they detailed sort of... they're Obviously, they're going to detail how these different planes fit together, right? So that's part and parcel of manual of the planes and with that they can detail whatever important factions whatever changes have made been made and then you really just got to talk about sigil and you're good to go so i think they could totally hit that you make that's a really good point david they could probably knock it out without doing a whole campaign setting because the campaign setting covers lots of other campaign settings as you're describing it it occurs to me that sam's model of 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 detailing the forgotten realms would work perfect for planescape right one player's guide that gives you sort of uh the sigil and then a bunch of little excursions that also detail some you know the outlands here and and this plane over there and you do all those little excursions and you get a sense for the whole the whole setting that way yeah, the problem is that the reason why i think that works with the forgotten realms is there's already 30 years of yeah, canon well, and background that's available to people, even on dndclasses.com, there's all kinds of stuff. Whereas with the other settings, there was only, for many of them, one sort of run. Planescape yeah. was only really detailed in second edition. And there were smitter smatterings in third and fourth, but not anything near a true, full, complete set of campaign guidelines. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, so I think that they might need to have different models for each setting they tackle, depending on how much information is already out there, at least in my mind. 
Sure. And I wonder too about maybe going some sort of, you know, PDF model, um, because they've, they've put that standard, right, of basic D&D, they have some PDFs up. I wonder if they would ever do for a smaller setting, like, hey, here's how Sigil and Planescape works, because now we want to take you to Eberron, you know, um, or, or that sort of thing. So I don't know, Sam, what do you think about Planescape? What are your thoughts? Do you think it could be the next setting that we see? Um, and would you like it to be? Well, let me see. Uh, do I think it could be the next setting? I don't know. I think there are a lot more people clamoring for a lot of other settings first. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's yep. going to be the next one. I think Dragonlance is the one that people keep yelling about. Dragonlance and Eberron, I think, are probably yeah. near the top of the list. I think Planescape is on the list, but not quite that close to the top. Um, would I want it to be? Uh, boy, I think it would probably be fantastic if they took their time with it. It wouldn't be my first choice, though. Mm-hmm. I'd still buy it because I think it would probably rock. But I, it wouldn't be my first choice, but they'd probably do a good job. Jeff, what do you think about Planescape? Uh, I really like Planescape. I, do, I, I don't think it's going to be the the next setting. Uh, I could see it being like the third or fourth setting. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you kind of need a... a a breadth of settings before you really need to connect them. You know what I mean? Uh, and I feel like, and I, at the same time, I feel like there's some good, um, there's some really good sort of foundations for it already there. Uh, I'm in the middle of reading the dungeon master guy, getting ready for a review of it next month. Uh, and there's a lot of details about the plane sort of baked into it already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and supportive that is not, that is not unsupportive of the idea of Planescape and, and, and going to there. So, um, I think that maybe they're giving us enough already to be able to traverse worlds if we needed to. Um, so I don't think they're going to do Planescape that way, um, right. anytime soon. But I think once they've you know, established this multiverse sort of thing, then maybe it makes sense for them. Oh, by the way, let's do a quick one-shot thing, and we'll release the manual of the planes with to go along with that storyline. And hey, cool, there it is. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I think you're probably right that um, you know it, it may be something along those lines of hey, remember in the DMG when we mentioned Planescape? Well, this is how you can use that to get yeah. to let's say Eberron, which is sort of the next item to tick off on my list. That is a very popular setting um you know came out 3.5 as part of the fantasy setting search it is my favorite setting interesting magic punk a lot of spy sort of deception kind of things going on a lot of things that are set up in the campaign guide that are left hanging for you to pull at and for you to decide what caused the morning and if the mark of death is still out there and active and all that sort of stuff um Really love the setting, setting that gave us the Warforged. And so I think a lot of people would really like to see Eberron. So, Mm. um, you know, and and for my money, that is one of the big contenders for something we might see after Forgotten Realms. Uh, But what do you think, Dave Gibson? I think the chances of Eberron are actually pretty low. Sorry, James. uh, (laughs) That's okay. I know people have that opinion, too. Yeah, yeah. It's Eberron is a really easily available on PDF. The books are pretty easy to find, and the books are really well done and comprehensive. They're not. they're also um, nothing's changed in the world. Unlike the realms, there's nothing to update. The timeline has deliberately not advanced, and even the the novels and adventures are non-canon. So there's nothing that you need to update other than the mechanics, which is you know two pages of you know races and a class. So it's not a lot of really support an entire book. 
your logic makes me sad, but I think it's probably correct <laughs> now that you lay it out that way. I had figured that I was thinking that just with the massive love and kind of recent state of Eberron that it'd be a shoe in, but just for dollars, right? But I don't know. I guess it depends on does Wizards of the Coast want to sell a bunch of books? Because they could probably do that with Eberron. Mm-hmm. But like you said, Dave, they don't really need to. Well, let me throw this out there, that if this adventure path idea continues, they could sell a lot of books, maybe not necessarily an Eberron source book, because, right, that may not be needed. But if they sold a new Eberron adventure path and made it part of the Adventurer's League, then maybe you are going to sell a lot of Eberron books. And And, and a small player's guide so I can play a Warforged Artificer. I mean, there's there's some some what have become, like, really... Desired, you know, classes and races that have come out of Eberron. That I you know, if if only for Warforged, mm-hmm. like I want to, I want to see Eberron just so I can have a, all the races back I used to have. You know, <laughs> and and they said originally, I think I've read somewhere in, in, in interviews that they have actually designed the Warforged already. It was something that they put in, and then there wasn't it space. Was, and yeah, took out. it was going to be it was going to be in the DMG along with yeah. the Kinder. And they got taken out for space considerations. Yeah. I think it would be a strong contender based on the fan base, except it had a bazillion books in third edition, which are really well done. Mm -hmm. And it also had a fourth edition set of books. Mm -hmm. And since it just had that recent, relatively recent set of books, I don't think it's going to be on the top of the list. The timeline not not progressing is a major, major, major point because Mm -hmm. really – you can, as we said, you can actually release a small player's guide. You could even do it just on PDF that provides 5th edition mechanics for the Eberron-specific classes and races and, and, and let that be the Eberron support for a while. And then if you get around to doing a storyline with Eberron, then you really make that a deluxe, a deluxe book of player information. And a, and a deluxe campaign guide or story guide. Jeff, what do you think about Eberron and its chances? So now I, I was really bully on on Eberron at the beginning, and now uh, as as we all have sort of thought about it more, you know, and, and conversed, uh, David's <laughs> drug us all down into his way of thinking. I think you could do a real firm middle ground, and maybe this is where they'll go. Where instead of doing a big Eberron launch, they will do a a one super adventure you know one one book one to one to 15th level or whatever you know sort of super adventure uh and a thin player's guide you know of of 50 to 75 pages to go with it that gives us all the new uh the new versions of the classes and and races and then you don't worry about the campaign stuff because as has been pointed out at infinitum at this point there's a lot there but see i i think that they might they might go with that particular model for all of the settings they They could yep I agree. I don't know that they're actually going to release a single campaign guide. I mean, the more we talk about it, the more it seems like the best way to go is do the storyline. You know, the, this this edition, one of the major differences in it is it's really, really big on focusing on story nowadays. And so the best way for them to get, keep that sort of environment going is always base everything on the story. Just like, remember they said, we won't produce, introduce rules for psionics until we have a storyline that requires rules for psionics. 
And they're going to, I think that's the way that they're going to do it. They're going to have storylines. They're going to have a little GM guide, maybe, and a little player's guide for each storyline. And there you go. And, you know, on the flip side, one of the pluses about that as a player, maybe not as a G, uh, GM, Ooh, sorry, guys, DM um, for James, but <laughs> I don't have to spend as much money buying player's guides, which is kind of nice. <laughs> James has to spend all the money still, but I don't. So that's cool with me. <laughs> if I know one thing about Dragonlance, it's now that I know that Greg Blair is a big fan of it, as I just learned five seconds ago. Why don't you tell the people at home a little bit about Dragonlance and why it may or may not have a good chance to be the next setting? So Dragonlance is interesting because it was one of, I dare say, the first really story-focused set of modules. They developed it over the course of their campaign, Tracy Hickman, Margaret Weiss, and company. So they played out the campaigns, they wrote these books, they they. They wrote the books off their playthroughs of the modules and centers around, you know, Pantheon very strictly divided into good, evil, and neutral. The schools of magic were very, you know, clearly delineated between those three. So all that being said, I think Dragonlance is awesome. I think it has a ton of great aspects that they could pull, you know, the Draconians, all the different, uh, the Pantheon and stuff. And a ton of just huge amount of history. I mean, I think they, they got to be up to 150 different books, something like that. But all that being said, where do they pull from? Right? So, second and third ed, uh, Dragonlance had kind of like, well, second ed Dragonlance with the original stuff, that was kind of classic. Then they came out with this fifth age stuff, which had the Saga Edition kind of card based RPG. And then I guess uh, Sam Muir St. Margaret Weiss Productions put out the third. I had supplement. I was pretty much an Eberron by then, so I'm a little rusty, a little not as familiar with that. But I mean, there's been novels since then. What have they put out for a campaign guide? There's not been any, you know, there's certainly been no fourth ed support. Even the Margaret Weiss Productions thing was sort of ancillary, I would say. So what do they do? What do they even put out? Where do they start? Where do they start and where do they begin? Uh, Jeff? So I have a vision. Um, of where I think it would be really awesome for them to do is that they do like a J.J. Abrams style re- Star Trek style reboot and go back to the original stories, but completely re- like reimagine them in in a modern sort of uh, concept. You know, mm. I think that would be really cool. Go back to the beginning of Dragonlance because really Dragonlance. I always had a hard time with Dragonlance as a setting because there is a big story that sort of sucks all the air out of the room. Choo-choo. You know. Choo-choo. <laughs> yeah, totally. I would really enjoy a, a big, you know, modern day reimagining of the original story in the form of an adventure. You know, I think that'd be cool. I, I've, I've argued for the the reboot of Dragonlance, the reimagining of the the mm-hmm. world of the Lord of the Lands, and a lot of the Dragonlance fans are actually really against it, uh, curiously, because Why? they've done that before. They they've had oh. it. The, the the books came out, the adventures came out twice for uh, first and second edition. They came out uh, for third edition. It's it's ground that's been tread over again and again and again. And mm. that's why I think Dragon, even though I'm a Dragonlance fan, I don't think Dragonlance is in a good position to be rebooted because, as uh, Greg says, there's so many different periods and they're all so different. It's been nuked like yeah. the realms, but so much worse. And so yeah. you could do 
um, uh, Margaret Weiss Productions or Press or um, did the 3.5 books, and they did very well because they could do a book in each era, and they could do the the War of the Lands book and the the uh, the War of Souls book. But that'd be much harder for Wizards of the Coast to do an all in one book. It's the, the the world has just been so completely fractured, and each of the different periods is so completely different that it'd be really hard to do something that the fans didn't have multiple copies of, or that was didn't seem representative to newcomers, like the, the fifth if, age stuff. But if they farmed it out to Ma- Margaret Rice Productions to do it, and uh, they happened to hire Tracy Hickman to, to work on the project, I would be on board. <laughs> That's the option. If they they start licensing out settings again, back to licensing, then I think Dragonlance would have a, a really good chance of doing some really cool products. Um, but they don't even have to have to do the full license like they've done in the past. They could do like they did, you know, uh, the Tyranny of Dragon stuff. Uh, that's the the problem with the reimagining is that they've already done the whole War of the Land story as Tyranny of Dragons. So reimagining it as here we're fighting a five headed dragon god mm. again so fast that's a really big strike against the uh, Dragonlands as well. Yeah, it'd probably be a few years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That that's what I was going to say was uh, what story could you tell in Dragonlance that's going to be epic that is not going to seem like Horde of the Dragon Queen Redux. I, I think what they would have to do is rather than doing a reboot, because I think the reboot would just really be blah to, to people who've done it already. Um, I think instead of that, they would have to forward the, you know, take it into a completely new era. I know that's also been done before, but this way it would be open for them to explore things that never really got a full story before. Because I really think that the story, um, the storyline sort of plot point thing that they're doing is the way to go with Dragonlance. Uh, I actually wanted to talk about Greyhawk because I think that there is a strong possibility that maybe we'll see something along those lines. Like you mentioned, it was big. Uh, it was the default, you know, third edition setting. And therefore, I think it's familiar for a lot of people. For me, the big strike against Greyhawk is it's kind of like Forgotten Realms. I'm sure fans of both will hate me for saying that. Um, but I don't know that it's a big enough leap to, for it to be like, oh, we're suddenly in a different <laughs> setting now. But I want to know, James. I to- I totally agree with you. Just so you know, I got your back. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I, as the realms fan, I actually agree as well. I mean, there are obvious differences, but but in terms of feel, they both have a very similar sort of feel. Uh, and so, yeah, I totally agree. Although I do happen to know that Mike Merles is a huge Greyhawk fan. I think that I think the strong case against Greyhawk is simply that it has been so long since they've seriously supported Greyhawk that the fans of it. Are largely the grognards, you know. The, there's no, there yes. are no new young fans of Greyhawk. It's all the people that have been playing since at least second edition, probably first. You know, the people playing Greyhawk are already playing it in OSR. Mm-hmm. I yep. think that's really what it comes down to. And you, you hit the nail on the head, Jeff. They put their references to Greyhawk. They gave us Big B. They, yep. So they brought back the big names, and I think that's all we're gonna get. I would counter with Living Greyhawk, which was the living campaign for the entire 2000s, for 2000 to 2007. And that had a lot of fans. That was much bigger than Living Forgotten Realms. There's a whole bunch of yes, Greyhawk it was fanish people. That actually might be almost a strike against it because there's all these people who invested in the living world and built up their region and told their adventures and changed the world. And I don't know if Wizards of the Coast has the rights to those adventures and the tales and changes. 
So it'd, have, it'd be this big book that would go against all the, the band's canon and the Living Greyhawk canon. They could, sure. they could crowdsource it like they're doing with the adventures, right? And just hope that people sure. make it happen the same way, right? Then it's not Wizard's fault, maybe. <laughs> Is that how copyright I think, works, I guys? Think they, I think they do have the rights to those Living, Frugan, or living uh, Greyhawk pieces. And if they don't, I'm sure they could work something out. It's not like they don't know those guys. But I do think I do think it's a strike against it. I think it's very similar to to Forgotten Realms in that way that it it has a lot of things going on that have been going on for a long time, and they've they've pretty frequently had items being produced for, for that world. Even though it wasn't a huge campaign guide for third edition, it was a humongous set of RPGA players playing Living Greyhawk. So I think that's a strike against it rather than a strike for it. Let me throw out Dark Sun, right? There is a setting that is sort of unique to itself. It is certainly not like the Forgotten Realms or really any other setting we have spoken about. Um, You know, we're talking post-apocalyptic desert wasteland made an appearance. It did make an appearance in 4th edition. So there is recently updated source material for it. It does seem to be sort of popular, though I haven't heard a ton of people clamoring for, we need 5e Dark Sun, uh, other than Greg Blair. Um, So, (laughs) Greg, what do you think about uh, as the resident? Resident Dark Sun fan, uh, what do you think about the chances of Dark Sun? Being I'm going to tell you first of all why they should do Dark Sun, not what are the chances are, why exactly they should do it, right? Um, and I think it actually has a decent chance. And then I'm sure you guys will come up with actual reasons and logic why I'm completely wrong. <laughs> but here's, so, so as you mentioned, right, Dark Sun, they brought it back in 4E, so gave it some exposure to folks, you know post-apocalyptic it's it's pretty hot right now guys and i think it gave it gave it a splash some popularity but honestly i don't think they did it well in fourth ed but fifth edition is very compatible with kind of what i was getting at before with just the straight up brutality of dark sun Mm. right in dark sun you started at third level because you were just gonna die if you didn't and i think that meshes very nicely with uh, the fifth ed concept of <laughs> that's just the standard way of playing fifth ed, right? If you don't start yeah, at third yeah. level, you're just going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and even in fifth ed, they say, you know, a third level adventure is really like you have come into your own. You are a fighter. Now you've got all your core stuff, you know? And I think that meshes very nicely. Fifth ed, as we've just mentioned, is kind of rough at lower levels. They can use all these awesome, rules modules right for they can actually do preserving and defiling closer to, to the original feel right they're all the you know fifth head would be so perfect for dark sun it's it's brutal you've got rules modules it, it came out so it's got some popularity some resurgence but it's not overwhelming like all these other settings mm-hmm. you know it doesn't have a, a huge mountainous pile of material right mm-hmm. that's super recent i think maybe and maybe i'm just pie in the sky completely delusional please tell me i'm not wrong that we have a decent <laughs> shot of seeing dark sun uh, i think dark sun could be doable but if if they're gonna do dark sun i want it i don't want it to be a player guide and, a, and an adventure path i want a box set like i want it i want to have right. dark sun whole, whole cloth you know 
Yes. Uh, and I don't know that that's the model they're following right now. So that's why that's my main reason that I, I I'm hesitant on Dark Sun. I think it might be an okay pick, uh, although it did it is one of the ones of our on our list. It's one it's the one that probably got the most recent love, right? Well, I so here's where the problem is: is that I really think they're going with this story, this storyline model that they're doing, where they're going to do a story and maybe a player's guide and whatever. And I I agree with Jeff and Greg. I think. If they're going to do Athos, if they're going to do Dark Sun, it needs to have a full-on campaign guide. It's one of the settings that would require a full-on campaign treatment, mm-hmm. a setting setting guide treatment versus just some kind of adventure path because it's it needs a lot of explanation. Well, because yeah, it hasn't so really different. been been done since Second Edition. But because it's so different, right? I think I'm hoping, right? Optimism here that that makes something like what Jeff is saying maybe more likely. And I mean, you know, they said, oh, we're not going to do psionics until we have a reason to. Dark Sun is the reason to do psionics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's an integral part of the setting. It's you you can't have Dark Sun without psionics. It's core, right? So elithids and all that stuff, that's great. But but Dark Sun, the but whole here, world that's, has psionics. But see but that's a reason to not do it right now. And I'll tell you why. Because they just released the core and I think it's going to take at least a year before they can really get psionics down because i think there's there are some problems with the higher level when we get to the higher level i i'm not sure that the numbers hold together like they do at lower levels and i think that they're going to have to address that before they address psionics dave gibson what are your dark sun thoughts i like dark sun but it is one of the more recent settings so i think they might sit on it for a little bit I'd, I'd like to see it for fifth edition, but there's there's so much stuff that needs to be established before. And it does need the psionics. I don't know if it needs to be the psionic product so much as there needs to be psionics already published. There's also the the monster problem because you need the setting book, but you also really need a monster book. So because mm-hmm. Dark Sun has a lot of monsters, even for fourth edition where they're doing the the two books and the one player book and the one DM book. They changed that up for Dark Sun to have the DM player book and then the monster book because there's so many monsters and they're so different. Yeah. So that'd be extremely hard to do with the adventure and campaign accessory model. You need that third book or something. When I initially emailed you guys to talk about this, I had a Dark Horses candidate slot that included some uh, things we're going to talk about in a little bit. But Ravenloft was under there, and immediately all four of you were like, "You are crazy. We we think you need to uh, quit life because Ravenloft is not a dark horse candidate for the next campaign setting." And now, with everything you guys have been saying, I think I can see why. It's a story-driven world. Um, that we haven't seen a lot of official material for in a while. It's certainly a different feel than the Forgotten Realms, and you could do it in this model of releasing an adventure path and a player guide for it, or you know, two different adventure paths, however they're going to do it. You wouldn't necessarily need a full Ravenloft campaign setting guide i mean that's what it's usually been the only time it was a campaign setting was second edition other than that it was always a series of uh, an adventure or or a couple of adventures or whatever Mm -hmm. and then second edition they turned they did this whole domains of dread thing and and turned it into a campaign setting and you wouldn't even i I could very easily see it be uh, a one-time quick little uh release around you know or in, in the fall you know around halloween or whatever here's a special 
horror adventure for you with it's Ravenloft. Ha ha. Welcome back. You know, go beat Strahd and, you know, and, and just call it done right there and make it a smaller adventure, uh, you know, story release. Yeah, absolutely. So Jeff, is that your, your thought? Do you think that Ravenloft actually has a good shot? You were the first yeah. person to call me out. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out and say that after the forgotten realms, Ravenloft is going to be the next setting and it, and it may just be a short little thing, but that's that I'm going to, I'm going to stick my neck out on well, that. Well, that's not a setting then. That's just a short little adventure. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but, I mean, but that's, I mean, but that's, seriously, I'm not just trying no, you're right. to, you know. No, you're right. And, like, do you and, think and there's actually they're going to be a long storyline with a setting kind of guide with with I at least like the no. players' guide? Or I think it's going to be it's going to be. I mean, in as much as Ravenloft, or other than Second Edition, was a setting, right? It's it's a it's a it's a small pocket domain, right? Um, yeah. It's got its right. own. It's, it, it is sort of a little mini setting, but the whole setting is basically. A, a castle and and the town, and I think it has a, the extra advantage of you know how we talked about how Planescape has the advantage of being able to transport people from, people from place mm-hmm. to place. Ravenloft mm-hmm. does that too. The mist can come and pick you up from anywhere, and then you're in Ravenloft. You know, even if it was, let's say it was a little amuse bouche right yeah. in between <laughs> Forgotten Realms and Eberron, say a, a, a sorbet, a palate cleanser, <laughs> if you will. Uh, that, that makes sense to me. Sam, what do you think about Ravenloft? Um, I think it's a good contender for something they'll at least do something with. I kind of agree with Jeff. I don't know that it's going to be a major one to 15 level campaign. Uh, I think it might be something smaller, but they might do like two or three little smaller adventures that you can plug into your campaign because the mists have floated in and shrouded. They're shrouding the area that you're in. You know, plug this little campaign thing in and and run a couple of sessions of this in Ravenloft, scare the hell out of your players, and then they can leave <laughs> and go back to your regular game. I think if they did two or three of those, that would be really cool because two or three of them would allow several pages in each book that gave a little more detail about the, the setting, quote unquote, setting without having to do like a major storyline with a major setting guide and all that. I like that idea. I think it's great. It could- it could be a new yearly tradition. Like every every September, they release mm. uh, you know a new a new fifty to seventy five page little little mini adventure, and one of them is Strahd, and the next one is Lord Soth, or you know, and and yeah, pick it. That would, in, cool. in, Ooh, that would be really fun. So, Dave Gibson, you've been naysaying a lot of things. Ravenloft is my favorite campaign setting, and I think I own every published Ravenloft product. And a couple of products from Ravenloft that aren't published. Uh, I, but I don't think we'll see a campaign setting for it because it was one of the products, it was one of the campaign settings licensed out for third, third edition. And there was a lot of stuff put out for third edition by, well, essentially by White Wolf. Mm-hmm. And that'd be, a, um, Wizards of the Coast owns that material almost certainly. But it's a lot to go through and absorb of other people's products to consider. You either oh, have to think, ignore that ab- material. I don't think they would absorb it at all. I think they would just go exactly. out and, and start. They'd ignore it, which would upset all the, the, the fans who really liked that material, which was pretty popular mm. among the Ravenloft community. <laughs> but I do agree that with Jeff, um, kind of that they'd be a very easy setting to do the, the story adventure with. Or even, even if they do the, uh, the campaign guide. That's sort of the the players type guide, and, and the the super adventure because you can go out there and you can do lower level adventures and then build to facing Strahd or Azalin or even like Vecna if he's back in the mists or whoever. You could you do a lot of stories like that and again it would tie into the organized play very nicely. So that'd be a nice way to do little bits of support for Ravenloft and do a kind of a, a grand sweeping tour of whatever they want to wherever they want to go in the mists. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed for that. Gotcha. I would love 
the adventure path stuff. I think Ravenloft is cool. I love the horror, the horror aspect of it. You know, pulling people in just for a little side, little sidetrack is a great idea. Please steal that, wizards. I think you could do a lot with throwing in a couple like backgrounds and maybe I don't know a subclass or archetype or whatever you whatever each thing is, happens to call it. Um, I'm gonna go with subclass. We are gonna move on to the dark horse category, um, and I'm just gonna ask you guys. What do you think, what would you want to see from the Dark Horse category? We've got things like Spelljammer, Alkadim, Kingdoms of Calamar, Blackmoor, Thunder Rift, Birthright, and of course, Mistara. So Sam, why don't we start with you? Tell me, what do you think about these? And start with Mistara, because that's we all really want to hear your defense <laughs> of Mistara. Here's my defense of Mistara. Um, or here's why I think so now keep in mind, I am not so foolish as to think this will actually be the setting that they go with, but, but hear me out. Number one, it has not been an official setting since 1991. It's been a long time since the end, the, the beginning of second edition. And that was, they, they put it in and wrapped around the, uh, the challenger series and, and that was it. Uh, Number two, it has an interesting situation where there are no gods. Instead, it has immortals, which is a unique ability for the PCs when they get up to higher levels to try to become immortal, which is something that no other setting allows them to do. Uh, and number three, it does have a lot of actual interesting, weird stuff that could happen. It has the whole center of the planet is is hollow and it has a whole other set of civilizations in there it has a really long ancient history and some of the most well-regarded uh uh early modules in D D were based in mistara um night's dark terror and keep on the borderlands are just two really good examples so there's three really good reasons to have something with mistara in it it seems like a really good setting for um a pulp style series of adventures. And, and, and actually I'm not sure that uh, like I was really getting kind of interested in, in that concept. And then I realized, but if they're going to go with a really pulp thing, it's going to be Eberron and it's not going to be Mistara. Yep. So. Yeah. I, I think, I, I I think it's still it a real dark be, horse. I, I don't, it doesn't need to be pulpy. I think mentioning hollow world makes people think like pulpy stuff, but that's yeah. not actually what it is. It just means really, really ancient civilizations that have pulls on the world and have a, 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 an effect on the world. That's what it really means. It's not pulpy at all necessarily. Um, the fourth really good reason is that lots of people cut their teeth in Mistara and it has some really iconic figures that have not really been uh, visited in in actual Mistara for quite some time. Um, and, you know, a lot of people bought the red box and then the blue expert box and that that's what they learned to play D&D with. And, and that's a pretty strong pull. And it's different from the group of people that say cut their teeth on Greyhawk. Which, you know, as we were talking about, sort of the grognardy type of player who's still playing in Greyhawk and has been playing in Greyhawk since, you know, 1980. Um, that's a different set of people from who would be interested in Mistara. Mistara actually has a lot to offer. But like I said, I'm not so deluded to think that they would actually choose that as their But I think there are lots of good reasons for it. Uh, in terms of th places like Blackmoor, you know, they could throw a bone and say, hey, look, you know, Dave Arneson doesn't always get a lot of love, and Blackmore is the perfect uh, setting for you to be able to mix a little sci-fi with your fantasy. 
Uh, but I think that would be a situation where they would be better to do that sort of like how we were just talking about Ravenloft. Throw a few little modules out there that you could plug in, have some sort of uh, weird, you know, laser rifle strange spaceship stuff going on temples with lots of frogs and space aliens running it. And and then you've got it. Dave Gibson, who are your dark horse candidates that you would like to see? I think Alcademon Caratour would be interesting. Cause again, you could tie them into the organized place. Super easy. If, uh, if Wizards of the Coast does decide to go to start licensing out um, their their um, settings to third party publishers, I know uh, Birthright was really done by Rich Baker and had a neat little hook of you are all the the PCs are kingdom building and kings and rulers who are em, uh, empowered by the gods. They have like the divine mandate, and as they gain more power, they um, over temp like a secular power on Earth, they gain more kind of divine power. Or something like that. On the same note, on the same note, Wolfgang did a lot of the Alcadim stuff, so he'd be an easy tap yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah, so I think Birthright has a the very different stories of taking over a kingdom, ruling a kingdom, and getting mm-hmm. power while doing it, which is something you couldn't do anywhere else. Birthright also gives you access to they could throughout you know mass combat could be a big part of that. The whole realm yes, magic. Exactly. There's lot. There's cool modules that they could rules modules they could include with that. I don't think it's going to happen, but it'd be cool. Who are your dark horse candidates, Greg? Well, although Sam makes a very impassioned argument for Miss Dara, and I think Birthright <laughs> would be pretty cool, um, I don't really think it's going to be either one of them. The 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 one I'm most interested in is actually maybe Al Kadim. I like the kind of different. Maybe I'm playing myself out here, but I like I like the settings that are a little out there and like kind of different and stuff. So, you know, the different sort of types of magic the the different setup you know i get i get kind of bored of just straight fantasy settings like forgotten realms and and whatnot i like things with uh, some kind of different different hitch there you know but i think like you said spelljammers too out there kingdoms of calamar doesn't have big enough following you know Blackmore's way too wonky, and like you said, maybe they don't have the rights. Thunder Rift was too small, you know. Bring us home, Jeff. Who are your dark horse candidates? Uh, so my dark horse candidates, I'm going to go. I think uh, David said the same thing. I'm going to go Al Kadim, and and then follow that with Spelljammer. In fact, I've ranked out everything we talked about tonight in my top five in the order that I think they're going to come out, and it's going to be Forgotten Realms, Ravenloft, Al Kadim, Spelljammer, and then Dark Sun. Those, that's my predictions right there, and it's going to take. 15 years to see them all, but that's my prediction. All right, guys. Well, I think that is going to do it then for this podcast. Uh, Greg Blair, where can people find you? Oh, I don't. I have one of those Twitter things. You can catch me at NTS underscore QPOP. Maybe we can play some Dota's sometimes or talk about Dark Sun and Dragonlance. Ooh. Uh, Dave Gibson, where can people find you? At DND Jester, as well as my webcomic blog, 5MWD.com. Nice, nice. And Sam Dillon, where can people find you? You can find me at RPGMusings.com or on Twitter at DM Samuel and drop me a line, and I would love to talk about Mistara. <laughs> Please, the one other Mistara fan out there, find Sam. <laughs> Somebody needs to oh. talk to Sam. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I know there's a, there are many more. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mr. Jeff Griner, where can people find you? 
Uh, I am most easily found over at thetomeshow.com. You can email me at thetomeshow at gmail.com. And I have a Twitter at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H, which I mostly only respond to when people directly tweet me these days just because I, I don't have time. Uh, people, if you have a question or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. Or you can reach out to any of our panelists today in the ways they have expressed you may reach out to them. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the 5th edition world I'm building at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening, and thanks to Greg, Dave, Sam, and Jeff. Our theme music, which you are listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And if you like the show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable. 